All right, everyone. We've got to be prepared. Now the zombie apocalypse has broken out here. We're all in deep, deep danger. We're going to... Excuse me. I don't... I just for... Just for uh, total clarity, I don't think we can call them zombies. But what do you mean we can't call them zombies? Well, I'm just saying, like, they don't... Are they technically undead? Well, you know, the, the zombies in 28 Days Later aren't technically undead. Well, I don't consider 28 Days Later technically to be a zombie movie. Please, we don't have time for this. We've got to start boarding up the walls. We've got to load the guns. We've got to be prepared for when they arrive at our destination at this location. So please, it, it doesn't matter if they're zombies or not. I, well, you know, technically, the, zo the zombies from Resident Evil video games aren't technically undead. They're just a virus that makes them look like it. What? No, that can't be right. Those things are definitely zombies. They look like zombies. But they're not technically undead in the games. They're undead in the movies. I don't... But that doesn't... Guys, we don't have time for this conversation. Whatever they are, they're starting to... They're almost here. We've got to start barricading every door and window. Look, also, these zombies run. Zombies ran in the Dawn of the Dead remake. That was a, that was a remake, not the original. In the original, they never ran. Guys, we seriously don't have time for this conversation. We have got to, oh my god, they're outside. Okay, there's no time. We've got to grab the guns. Remember, we aim for the heads. Well, you know, they're not undead, so we could probably shoot them anywhere. Well, I still think the head is the best place to shoot anyone that's attacking you. Guys, we don't have time. Just shoot them. Just shoot them. We gotta go. We gotta go. Now, listen here. I think that... Okay, that's it. No, fuck this. I'm going... Get... I'm getting the van. And I'm just leaving you guys here to figure this out. So, are they a virus? Are they undead? Oh, there's somebody at the door. Let's go open it. Welcome to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ruben Cut. I know, I know, I skipped Monday, but uh, I'm debating re doing a rescheduling of when I release episodes. I might go to a Fridays only thing. Because I've realized I've got to start getting my episodes on YouTube. So I might be spent taking time out of my normal recording schedule to put to get put stuff on YouTube. There. You happy? People keep telling me I need to put stuff on YouTube. I probably do. Alright. So today's a movie roundup where I'm going to be reviewing three movies for you that I think are existentially terrifying. <clears throat> The first movie we will be talking about today, because there's, I just, I don't want to spoil anything about this movie, because I have to recommend it, and it's definitely, it's not like the other films here. The film I'm talking about, of course, is Mad God. Now, Mad God is a film directed by Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett is a name that probably doesn't mean a lot to anyone else here. But Phil Tippett is the guy who did these special effects for for stuff like, I believe, if I have my understanding correctly, Jurassic Park, the original one. 
Oh, that's... Oh, that's fun. As of this reading, there will be a showing of Mad God today at the Cleveland Institute of Art at 9.30 p.m. There's no way anyone's going to listen to this in time to know that, but apparently that's a thing uh, that I just discovered via Google. But the point is, Mad God is a stop-motion horror film uh, made by this gentleman, Phil Tippett. Now, I don't know if I could describe to you what Mad God is about. Mad God opens... Mad God opens with a... with a page from Leviticus. Um, uh, it just, which is pretty horrifying <laughs> quotes from Leviticus. And, um... As we, as we enter the film, which is very well made uh, in terms of stop-motion animation with a combination of occasional live actors, um, I don't know if I could say that Mad God is about the story. As we enter the film, we see a person in a gas mask and other uh, types of suit basically to protect him in a dangerous environment, being lowered via a strange pod into a hostile environment. And that's kind of what most of the movie is. This character has been sent here to place a bomb in this horrific, weird place. And it's, it is strange. I don't even know. Mad God is not some movie you watch for the plot or the story. Mad God is about watching a journey into uncomfortable madness. As the film progresses, we see our character as he journeys into a horrific place where he's eventually captured after after setting his bomb that doesn't appear to be working quite right. We then, we then witness him being horrifically mutilated by surgeons who also use machinery to investigate his brain and discover his journey to them. And it's, it's all really, really wild. We end up seeing how there's a, some type of being or, or person who lives in the clouds above this monstrous world that has sent this agent here to destroy it. And in fairness, the world that we enter in Mad God is pretty fucking horrific. Like, bizarre. Like some of the... I don't want to ruin any of it for anybody because I definitely recommend Mad God to people who uh, can handle things that are a little existentially distressing. As he wanders a world that is definitely built on madness and cruelty, uh, there's definitely a lot. There's a lot of fecal matter uh, in Mad God. If I had uh, some fair warning about that, one of the sequences we see him walking past a bunch of giants in electric chairs being electrocuted until liquid shit comes out of comes out of the comes out of their asses. You don't see their asses. You just see it coming through the chairs. Uh, which is fed into some weird robot monster mouth that then digests the liquid shit and it gets pressed into people 
who are then used as slave labor of this society. And it's just wildly imaginative in the most horrifying ways possible. The film was originally apparently released in three parts, but now you can watch all of it together on Shudder, and also apparently Roku. But I watched it on Shudder, and it's... it's nuts. It is nuts. Uh, but in a very creative, imaginative, artful way. It's like if Wallace and Gromit wanted to leave... It's like Wallace and Gromit meets H.P. Lovecraft. And you just sort of mash them together. That's... That's what Mad God is like. I wish I could say more. But honestly, Mad God is not so much a story as an experience. I mean, there is a story here that you could take away from it. But I'm not... But it's something that's easier to see than for me to explain it to you with words. If you like, if you like stop motion animation and sort of like horrifying imagery, then I absolutely have to recommend Mad God. Definitely, definitely check out Mad God. But it wasn't the only existentially terrifying film that I watched recently over this week. The other one is a little film called The Sadness. Actually, wait. I'm going to check to see if the the is in there before I'm just losing my mind. Oh, it does have the in there. The Sadness, another film currently on Shudder, is a horror film from, let's see here, what country is this from? It, okay, it is from Taiwan. I should have guessed that thing as the movie is set in Taiwan. Uh, the Sadness was is a movie that has been hyped as being one of the most depraved, as being a truly depraved horror movie. Um, that's what it's selling itself on. So if you don't like, if that sounds too much to you, then The Sadness might not be for you. The Sadness is a zombie movie? Kind of? Not really? So, the film fits into many of the categories and understandings of a zombie movie, but a zombie purist will certainly point out the fact that, A, the zombies are not dead. They are. They are alive. But, uh, and it's really more of a virus that makes them go crazy and fuck murder people. Essentially, a virus has infected the world that causes people to, that causes people's limbic system to make them want to to met it messes up their limbic system so that essentially murdering and raping people is what gives them positive uh positive feedback and essentially murdering and raping people becomes to the same to them as trying to scratch an itch almost impossible not to do the main characters of the film are are a woman named Kat, played by Regina Lee, and Jim, played by Berent Zhu. And uh, I will say right now, I don't believe for a second that that was their names in Taiwanese. I, I, I fully believe that that is the names they were given 
for, you know, this, this translation. Because, yeah, yeah, Jim and Cat. <laughs> Real, I mean, I guess there could be title with a fool named that. But, uh, but, but still, I, I, I am skeptical. Very skeptical of that. The Sadness being a movie from 2021 is heavily influenced by the COVID epidemic, the COVID pandemic. As when the film starts, we are told that there is a currently an ongoing pandemic for something called the Alvin virus. And a large portions of the population believe that it is an overblown hoax. As scientists come on the come on television and desperately try to explain that the danger is not the lethality of the virus, but the fact that it has such a high potential to mutate and become something else. Of course, the TV hosts and everyone else sort of laughs it off and says, "Yeah, right. There's no way this thing is that dangerous. You, you, yeah, you guys gotta relax. It's basically the flu." <clears throat> of course, this being a horror movie, the Alvin virus ultimately mutates like crazy, resulting in people who are running around, murdering, and just flat out graping people in the street. That's right, I said graping. Uh, I think you all know what I mean when I say graping. <clears throat> but, you know, actually, that's terrible. We should not... We should, not associate, we should not associate fruit with rape, okay? Let's not ruin grapes. I understand we're trying to get around censorship and all, but, like, what did grapes ever do to anybody? Besides, sound very close to a horrific crime. Let's, poor grapes, getting associated with sexual assault, even though grapes did nothing wrong. Except, be spelled that way. But... The point is, is that once the sadness gets a hold of you and kicks in, you essentially run around trying to murder or have sex with anyone within your reach. And that's kind of what the virus does. Now, the film is, the film is intriguing in a lot of ways. It's sort of exploring a lot of the film could probably spend more time exploring some of its societal things that it touches on. But some of the societal things it touches on are pretty interesting. The film also definitely takes great joy in shocking its audience. Although, I will say, not to ruin anything for anybody, but there's also a scene where the president of China gets blown up with a grenade. So the film is definitely all about the shock. Side note, that that scene probably means this film will never be released in China. <laughs> oh, Taiwan. I wish you the best with your fight against your totalitarian neighbors. I just got banned in China. <clears throat> Anyways. <clears throat> Basically, at the beginning of the movie, when everything is normal, Kat and Jim sort of... We have our moments where we get to know them as a couple... And then, and then we, they tell us all about their weird couple-y problems, like Jim, wa Jim wants to take this photography job because he needs more, more work. But it's at the same time that his girlfriend has planned an outing for them out of town. And it's very hard for her to get time off work, etc. 
And they have this little back and forth to show what a cute couple they are at the beginning of the movie. And we meet their nice neighbor who says he just has a cold or something. So, you know, he's, he's obviously going to try and murder them at some point. <clears throat> but anyways, the film begins with essentially Jim dropping Cat off at the, uh, at the subway so that she can go to work. And then, he and then he's going to head back home because, you know, he's a photographer. He doesn't have to go to regular work every day. Lucky son of a bitch. At this point, the film sort of splits off into two narratives where we follow Jim and Cat. And I'm not going to spoil any of this because if you plan on watching it, it, it's not a bad horror film. I will tell you right now, though, it's extremely graphic. Uh, to be fair, cartoonishly graphic at some points. Where, like, a person gets stabbed in the neck, <coughs> and more blood comes out than I am even confident is in the human body. Uh, although, you know, I could be misjudging that. But it does seem like more blood comes out faster than, like, it should. Um, and that's pretty normal for the movie. It's, the film is uh, very graphic. And you should definitely be aware of that before going into the film. This is not a movie for everybody. If you if you are into, like, blood and gore, like that's your thing for movies, first of all, I hope you're seeing a therapist, and I hope that you have any... And I hope there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, but, uh, but if that's what your thing is, then you definitely gotta see this movie, because it's graphic as hell. Like... Damn. Now, Jim, of course, wanders off. And uh, he goes to a restaurant. And while he's trying to order a restaurant, this old lady comes in. And uh, one of the customers in the, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the restaurant notices her. And one is like, hey, that old lady doesn't seem okay. So they get, like, one of their... So they get their... Uh, like, it is unclear what their relationship is. But he, somewhat, whoever he's eating with goes and taps on the, the old woman and says, Hello, Grandma, are you okay? I, I somehow feel like he's probably not really his grandma, although I could be wrong. Uh, <clears throat> but essentially, of course, she turns around and she's covered in blood, probably not her own, and she's got tears streaming down her face because that's a major sign that you have the disease is that an uncontrollable flow of tears will be coming down your face while you are while you are smiling horrifically at the same time. Uh, because these are very happy zombies who are excited to be murdering and raping you. Of course, immediately turns around, hurts that guy, and then turns to the guy cooking behind the table and throws fryer oil all over his face and starts tearing pieces of his face, his face off as the fryer oil uh, horrifically burns him. Jim, of course, escapes and determines that he's, he's got to find Cat. That's his new mission. Essentially, he spends the film trying to get back to Cat. Cat, on the other hand, possibly the story that has a little bit more subtext to it, gets on, gets on the, sub, uh, gets on the, uh, the high-speed rail, subway, uh, train car thing, whatever they call it there in Taiwan. I think it's, I can't tell if it's above or below ground. But she gets on it, and things are going okay. 
And then a scene that I'm sure many, unfortunately many women are used to, of where she's minding her own business on the subway. And then some old guy sitting next to her is like, hey, what are you reading? And she's like, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a book. And she's very polite to him. And he just keeps talking to her, even though she's clearly trying to read a book. And, uh, <clears throat> and he goes on this weird, he goes on this old man rant about, I, okay, to be fair, he's probably middle-aged, like 40s. Maybe early 50s. <clears throat> but he starts talking about it. It's like, oh, it's nice to see people reading books. Everyone's always on their phone all the time now. And, and she basically is like, she's very polite to him for a while. And at a certain point, she's like, I really, I'm really just trying to read my book here. And of course, once she politely tells him to do that, and he immediately starts going into a weird self-pity fest and starts complaining actively to her about, how she's treating him. And she gets mad and it's like, will you please shut up? I'm just trying to read my book here. And, and he gets very weird about it. Very weird about it. He's, but she, she does assert herself very strongly and puts him in his place, kind of. And of course, just then, a guy starts stabbing another guy to death on the subway. It turns into a huge bloody mess. There's lots of attacks. And in the course of this sequence, uh, the guy who's been harassing her becomes infected with the disease, and him, he himself also starts, turns evil, and basically uh, stabs this, uh, this big girl in the eye sitting right next to her with his umbrella. <clears throat> now, Cat saves the girl. Let's see if I can find out what her name is. Uh, oh, uh, Molly is the character's name, played by... Ying Ru Chen. And basically, they proceed to try and flee from this man, from this guy, who has particularly latched on them and is now hunting them through uh, the streets on their way to the hospital where Kat is taking Molly to get her eye fixed. It's worth noting that in the subway fight scene, that there is also a lot of people using their cameras to film the chaos as their form of reaction. It's clear the film is making some type of point here, but there's large elements of the film that seem highly satirical of modern society. And as I was watching the film, a thing I was struck by is how relevant a lot of it felt to American conversation. As if Taiwan was having a lot of the same conversations that we were, including conversations about things like cell phones, the coronavirus, and, uh, and women being harassed in public. And of course, male entitlement of this, of this older businessman on the train. Overall, the sadness, and the sadness all builds up to sort of a strangely horrifying climax, where we understand that the, uh, the infected are not doing the things that they do out of hate. These are, that they have no control over this now. At one point a character speculates that maybe they cry because they're aware of how, of what they're doing and a part of them doesn't want to do it. And which is possible, or maybe the crying is their brain trying to, trying to cleanse itself of the disease, which would be a biological function. But at a certain point, we realize that these infected no longer understand the difference between 
love and violence. To them, these things are just the things that they want to and should do. Their violence and sexual depravity is how they interact with the world now. It's alarming. And ultimately, that is the movie's point, to be alarming. There's an existential dread to it. I would definitely say The Sadness is a good horror movie. I'd say The, zo the Sadness is a unique zombie film. Now, to be fair, purists are going to hate that. Purists will definitely not consider this a zombie movie for all of its similarities to zombies. The Sadness also kind of reminds me of the comic book series Crossed, created by Garth Ennis, um, which has a very similar concept of depra depravity rape zombies, essentially. Although, to be fair, I think The Sadness is better than what I've read of the comic book Crossed. Uh, Crossed is very graphic and depraved, as well as The Sadness. But the sadness has more of a, from what I read, the sadness had more of a human tilt to it. I think Cat, as a character, is pretty good, or at least relatable, or likable in the film. And she gives the film sort of a, a humanity that uh, that works for it. So I would definitely recommend the the sadness. Although to be fair. I really only recommend it to those with extremely strong constitutions for depravity and violence. But I have a third film to tell you about. So you may ask, what is this third film in my existential movie roundup? Well, the answer to that is simple. The third film, if you read the description for this episode, you already know. But that third film is Freddy Got Fingered. Now, Freddy Got Fingered is a... Unlike these last movies I've reviewed for you, which came out pretty much last year, Freddy Got Fingered is a comedy from 2001. Freddy Got Fingered is an extremely dark comedy. Um... You would not be wrong to call it surreal. But Freddy Got Fingered is a film from comedian Tom Green, who wrote, directed, and starred in it. Tom Green, if you're not familiar with him, was a comedian who largely got noticed in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm not sure of his exact timeline, and I don't know if I care to find out where he essentially, he had a show on MTV that if I had to describe it, I would say was kind of like the Eric Andre show before the Eric Andre show, except, you know, less structured than the Eric Andre show. I don't think he had a specific, you know, <clears throat> part where he talked to guests like that. I, although, to be fair, I can't remember it. I was not a big Tom Green person when I was a teenager. I kind of thought that he seemed dumb. And uh, his comedy definitely relies on that. 
You see, the other thing you need to know about Tom Green is that Tom Green, a lot of Tom Green's comedy is based off of being uh, shocking. I would describe certain parts of his show as being almost like uh, a more surreal Borat. And by that I mean filming himself in public doing weird things. And if I had one clear statement that I could say about Freddy Got Fingered, it's that this film feels like numerous parts of it should have been filmed like a <clears throat> hidden camera show with unsuspecting people to be exposed to Tom Green's shocking behavior. And the thing about it is, is that I, I just don't know how... Because as someone who has spent the last couple decades on a steady stream of things like South Park and Robot Chicken and Family Guy, I don't know if there's any, if there's very much in this film at all that I could say truly shocked me. Well, that's not true. We'll get into that in a minute. Now the thing. Now you might be saying, Ruben, you, we, you can't expect us as an audience to understand what you're talking about without having some idea of what the story of Freddy Got Fingered is all about. And I would be absolutely 100% lying to you if I said that this film had a traditional conception of things like plot structure and storytelling. Although it does eventually get around to being a story. So the film opens... <laughs> on Tom Green's character going through his sketch of cartoon characters that he has drawn. Tom Green's character's name is Gord Brody, which stands for, which is short for Gordon Brody. And essentially, he wants to be a cartoonist. He's 28 years old, something he tells us repeatedly throughout the film. And he wants to be a cartoonist. That's what he really wants. And when we meet him at the beginning of the movie, he is, he is going to California where he has gotten a job in a cheese sandwich factory. And he's going to try and pitch his cartoon to a animation executive played by Anthony Michael Hall. And... Oof. This is, uh... This is... Quite a film. We meet J We meet Gordon's family as they see him off on his trip to California. His family, of course, consisting of his father, Jim Brody, played by Rip Torn, his mother, Julie Brody, played by Julie Haggerty, and uh, his brother, Freddie Brody, played by Eddie K. Thomas. The thing is, is it Freddy is kind of a stupid piece of sh I'm sorry, Gord, Gord is kind of a stupid piece of shit. <clears throat> like, there's something wrong with him. He's, he's very entitled. He has no conception of self. He lies to, he, he lies to impress people. He's just not... He's not a great dude. And we're, we're exposed to this right away. Also, there's like something, like I don't know if he has the world's worst 
ADHD, or if his character just has a strong desire, like an unwitting desire for attention. If you're going into this movie, the thing you're going to have to accept is that what you're watching is going to be pretty hard absurdism. It's not going to dwell on things like real character development or a clear story. Things are just going to kind of happen, and they're going to kind of gradually build to something. And some things are just really more repeat, sort of running gags. Like, like his neighbors, who, based, played by Jack Davies, who has this, and his son Andy, played by Connor Widows. And the whole gag there is that basically every scene they appear in, just something horribly violent happens to Andy. He runs into a car, he gets hit by a ball, he gets hit in the face with a, broke, with a glass bottle, and he's like a 12-year-old kid. Just horrific accidents constantly happen to this kid. And most of them are either gored or his father's fault. On his way to California, things like this happen, where Gord sees a bunch of farmers on a horse stud farm getting a, getting a horse aroused so that it can have sex with a mare. <clears throat> so Gord stops his car, gets out of the car, runs up to the horse, and starts playing with the horse's penis. Now, it's pretty clear that this is actually Tom Green playing with a horse's penis. And this is kind of shocking, but <clears throat> would be a lot more shocking if there were actual, you know, people to react to it. And we also don't get much of the reaction of the farmers in the shot. Like, we hear them say, hey, stop that. But the camera focuses on Tom Green touching the penis. So it's not about the farmer's reaction. It's meant to be about us, the audience's reaction to him touching the horse's penis. And that's, <clears throat> I don't know, that's going to appeal to some people, but I'm just not shocked by this shit. Like, and it doesn't serve any basis in the plot. Later on, he will come back to watch the horse have sex with another horse and eat a sandwich weirdly in his car. When Gord arrives at the at the animation studio he proceeds to essentially um fast nonsense talk his way past security and then get into a and then essentially run into anthony michael hall's assistant played by drew barrymore who is the receptionist it's worth noting that at this time tom green and drew barrymore are married <clears throat> or dating. I, I, I'm not sure when they got married or when they were dating. But they they were definitely together in some capacity during the making of this film. It's almost 100% why she's in the movie. I guarantee it. Because she's easily... She's easily the biggest actor in the movie at the time this film came out. This is 2001. She's still huge right now. At the time this film was made. So, that's a thing. But anyways, the thing is, this scene, this scene is pretty hard to watch. Because Tom Green's character starts off by lying about being a package delivery person and insisting he has to see Mr. Davison, played by Anthony Michael Hall, and just keeps going 
uh, trying to say whatever he can to get to see him, regardless of how much sense it makes. And then he makes up a lie that he's actually a police officer, and the real reason that he's there is because uh, Dave Davidson's wife has been horrifically, has died horrifically in some way, and he's, he has to go talk to him immediately. And this gets Drew Barrymore's character to give him the location of Dave Davidson, at, at which point he... He goes into a tiny monologue about love at first sight or something, and, and asks Drew Barrymore if he'll be her, her, if she'll be his girlfriend. At which point, the only realistic reaction in the film at all uh, takes place, where she basically is like, "Fuck off," and tells him to get out of there, and like that he's just something wrong with him that he would, that he would try and ask her out while this person, while some, now this woman was dead, and he tries to say, "Oh, I thought we could bond over, over." Uh, over morning, Linda. And she's like, get out. Dave Davison loved Linda so much. And it's really the only realistic reaction to anything that he says in the film. <sighs> Eventually, Tom Green gets to Dave Davison pretending to be a police officer in a Bobby uniform. And it's ridiculous. And he, he basically admits it. And Dave Davison's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You pretend to be a cop to try and sell me your cartoons. And essentially, he shows him his terrible cartoons for X-Ray Cat or whatever. And Dave, Dave Davidson is basically like, hey, if you want to be a cartoonist, you've got to quit your stupid cheese sandwich job, and you've got to dedicate yourself to becoming a cartoonist full-time, and you got to and then come back and show me some stuff. And, and essentially, that's what happens. Tom Green quits his job and moves back in with his father, played by Rip Torn. And essentially, the... The rest of the movie is about that. Kind of. Sort of. Maybe. But essentially, he moves back in with his family, and his dad, who was super proud of him for moving out, goes a whole 180 on it, and is now a total piece of shit to him for moving back in. And the thing is that they just annoy the fuck out of each other. Like, they clash over everything. And that's the movie. Like, Rip Torn and Tom Green's characters aggressively trying to destroy one another is kind of the movie. <clears throat> and it just keeps... And it just sort of keeps escalating. Now, there is also a romantic side plot where... Um, where essentially... Gord has fallen in love with a... Uh, let's see here. Who's... Who, let's see here. She's playing... I, why are these uh with a with a nurse in a wheelchair named named uh named Betty played by Mar Marissa uh Coughlin Colin but uh, essentially this was a character I felt weird about first of all it should be noted that she doesn't actually she's an actor who doesn't actually need a wheelchair um <clears throat> but uh there's a whole thing in the film where, like, he, when he first asks her out, he doesn't realize she's in a wheelchair, and then he goes into the hospital room to see his buddy Harland, who broke his leg on on his on Gord's skate ramp, and basically they have a back and forth where he's essentially like where they they're debating if whether or not Gord has a problem with dating people in wheelchairs. <clears throat> Of course, this scene actually resulted in one of the more shocking scenes of the film that 
if there was any film in the movie that actually made me uncomfortable, it was the movie, the scene that was part of this. No, I'm not talking about the wheelchair thing. Even though I do have take some issues with the wheelchair stuff uh, and its representation here. But the thing that weirded me out was in this scene, there's a pregnant woman in the bed next to them who suddenly goes into labor, at which point Gord, for whatever reason, decides that he is the person to deliver this baby and proceeds to deliver the baby against the mother's will. Like, basically, she's screaming at him not to deliver the baby. And my whole thought while I'm watching this is, this is, this is a sexual assault, technically. He may not have sexual intentions, but this, this is technically an assault. And it is uncomfortable. And it gets weirder from there because the baby is born, stillborn. Not making this up. And then he proceeds to revive the baby back to life by swinging it around his head by its umbilical cord. Which works. And he saves the baby's life by doing so. He thinks he's a hero, but the hospital, of course, throws him the hell out. But in fairness, this entire scene really just happens so he can meet Betty. And so he gets a, girl he gets a girlfriend named Betty whose whole deal is that she's paralyzed from the waist down and can't and can barely feel her wit, her legs. So on their first date, what she wants to do is have him cane her legs with a bamboo stick so that she can kind of feel something in her legs. And that's what turns her on. And she and he wants to go on a real date and she just wants to suck his dick. Cuz Okay, so this this is Betty's character in a nutshell. She's a nurse in a wheelchair. She's into kinkily having her shins whacked with a bamboo stick. All she wants from a boyfriend is to suck her boyfriend's dick. Oh, and she's building a rocket-powered wheelchair. <laughs> that is her life goal. She's building a rocket-powered wheelchair. Oh, and she is also her other hobby is uh, is flipping. Uh, creamer cup things over and over. I don't know. Her and Gord seem to have a lot in common. So that's one other part of the film. But why is it called Freddy Got Fingered, you might ask? The reason it's called Freddy Got Fingered is that eventually his, his war with his father escalates to the point where they're both in therapy... And Gord makes up a lie about his father molesting his younger brother, Freddy. Now, in the story, Freddy is a fully adult 25-year-old man who has a job and lives in his own house. This results in a ridiculous sequence of events where essentially child services goes and abducts Freddy from his own home and puts him in, the, in an institute for molested children. It's... It's weird. The thing is, is that... The thing about Freddy Got Fingered... Is that Freddy Got Fingered never at any point wants to make sense. Freddy Got Fingered is purely absurdist on every level. Its characters and, and elements are not based in any type of reality. They are absurd. They react in ways that just don't make sense. 
everything is set up as a cartoon because honestly at a certain point freddy got fingered feels like a really long episode of a family guy spin-off that never got made did i find the movie funny uh not particularly to be honest there's little grounding in the film no one really feels like a real character so if you require some level of grounding or reality to find things humorous you're not gonna really latch on to much in this movie the film is designed to be absurd and shocking it's like a cartoon but not it's just a movie about a guy who wants to make cartoons and of course everything eventually works out for gord as you probably guessed that it would now don't feel too bad for gord's dad he is also a raving lunatic piece of shit who dramatically flip-flops from being irrationally hateful of his son to irrationally proud of him anytime he thinks his son may have succeeded at something he also <clears throat> in fairness there's a scene where he interrupts his son on a date with betty where at this point gord has lied to betty and she he's trying to convince her that he's some type of business executive of course he does it way too loud and draws the attention of his father who is also eating in the same restaurant and comes over to him and essentially outs him for what he's doing and proceeds to be a loud belligerent piece of shit in a in a uh, fancy restaurant mocking his son and being absurdly ableist to betty and it's one of the other scenes in the film where i couldn't help but feel like if it were taking place in a real restaurant with real customers and hidden cameras it would somehow be more entertaining because now i'd be what i'd be watching the reactions of the real people instead of just being the person who is supposed to be reacting to how annoying and stupid what tom green's character is doing because that's ultimately the film tom green being nonsensical and ridiculous and him and his father being absolute pieces of shit to each other that's kind of the movie I, there were moments and elements that i occasionally found likable maybe a few the film got a couple of chuckles at me there's a part with a crowd scene where someone holds up a sign that says when is this goddamn movie gonna end uh which to be fair at that point in the movie i 100 percent agreed with that statement it felt like it needed to end soon are there any positives to Freddy Got Fingered? Well, I will say that the soundtrack is fucking banging. Like, the choices of music is surprisingly good throughout. Um, the soundtrack, I was like, okay, this, this I kind of like. Which is interesting for the movie itself. Also, I will say that... Uh, Shaquille O'Neal has a brief cameo in the film and somehow Tom Green gets the most natural performance I've ever seen out of Shaquille O'Neal ever. Seriously, it's it's weird. Um, it's also weird because so few other performances in the film feel natural at all. At the end of the day, Freddy Got Fingered is a different kind of existential. 
Freddy Got Fingered speaks to how incredibly inane and stupid life really is. And how piece of shit people constantly fail their way upwards, despite how inappropriate or god-awful their behavior might be. Gord's character is a limp noodle cartoon of a man who really has no concept of how to be a properly functioning human or adult. Now, in fairness, though, he was raised by his dad, Jim, played by Rip Torn, who is also a hysterically unfortunate piece of shit. The film is... <clears throat> For many, the film will be shocking, and maybe that will get a reaction out of you. Ultimately, my problem is, is that I am not easily shocked. So the moments of the film where someone was meant to go, Oh, God! Or laugh uncomfortably, I sort of just sat there. Oh, yay, Tom Green's playing with a horse's penis. Oh, yay, Tom Green is trying to get the attention of everyone in the cheese sandwich factory by doing things that definitely should have got him fired. Actually, the idea that he quit his job instead of being fired is remarkably surprising. It's... <clears throat> But then again, that would be looking for logic in a film that is not attempting to be logical. That's looking for a story in a film that arguably the story is not what's important. It's a series of cartoon vignettes strung together, creating a loose plot. Freddy Got Fingered is not for everyone. And it probably wasn't for me. Is there an audience for this film? Oh, sure. Tom Green does a type of comedy that clearly appeals to some demographic. It's not me. But maybe, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for you. If anything I said sound remotely like something you'd want to leave, then maybe Freddy Got Fingered is for you. If you like this podcast, please share and uh, and follow and subscribe or wherever you get your podcasts. Please, uh, mainly just, you know, if you ever recommend podcasts, people recommend uh, Ruben Uncut. Help me out here. Help me to grow. Word of mouth. That's all I got going for me. All right, well, thank you for, uh, thank you for listening. Oh, thank God. Another survivor. I just got away from my uh, my last group as the zombies overtook and, and ate them while they were arguing about whether or not they were zombies. <laughs> what a stupid way to die. You know, actually, they're not really zombies. <sighs> I'm just going to put this gun in my mouth now.